can turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter. And we're actually going to look at the last two verses, Revelation 22. And actually, I'll have you do this while you're turning there. Um, get Revelation 22 and then also Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 22 and Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20 says, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And here we have one of the last promises um, that Jesus Christ gave us in the Scriptures. And it is, it, it's this, Surely I come quickly. And John's response is, even so, come Lord Jesus. And, and you know, that's really the testimony of every believer, right? We're looking forward to the Lord's return. And what's interesting, this, uh, the Lord says, He which saith, he, or he which testifieth these things. You see that, these things there? Well, if you look in Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 19, the Lord tells John, Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So the one that's testifying of these things, what are these things? It's the things that, have, uh, that he's telling John he's about to testify of. So we know in verse 20 that this is speaking, obviously, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He which testifieth these things. He's the one testifying. And we have just two simple points tonight. First, first point is, surely I come quickly. Surely... I come quickly. Let's break this down. Uh, first of all, he says, surely. There is no doubt that the Lord is coming back. He didn't leave any ifs, ands, or buts about it. He says, surely. This is an absolute fact. Um, I am Haldeman. I mentioned him this morning. He says, this is absolute fact. The nature of this promise is based in the integrity of the Son of God. So if Jesus Christ doesn't come back, he's a liar. And we know he's not a liar. It is based on his integrity. He says, unless all language is a deception, unless the promises of God are a baited lie, unless the apostles of Christ are the most shameless of all wanton, uh, wanton tricksters, unless the Son of God himself is the coolest traitor to truth who ever fooled the trusting hearts of needy men, unless he is the one being of all others who had the subtle and effective genius of making promises that fill the ear and are broken to the heart, unless he was the most skillful of all deceivers and rejoiced with malignant delight in deceiving the souls of men and thus proved himself to be not the Son of God at all, but the very Son of falsehood, then seeing he is the reverse of all that, is in truth the very Son of God and truth itself by his own unqualified statement, by its very character as exhortative warning, his coming must be and is imminent." So because Jesus Christ is the perfect, sinless Son of God, this is all based in His integrity, He is coming back. So not only does He say, surely I come, but He says, I come. You know, it's so cool, and I hope it's not a trite thing to say, but the Lord is not going to send an angel to get us. He's not going to create some new being to say, hey, i got a little side job here for you to do. He says, surely I come. You know, the Lord himself is coming back for you. He says, I come in Acts chapter one, turn there with me and uh, we'll see here. And uh, many of you, obviously you're familiar with this. The Lord is uh, ascending to heaven and his disciples are standing around about. They're amazed to see the Lord uh, ascended here to heaven. 
in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. He has just told them that they'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon them and they're to be his witnesses. And in verse 9 it says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus Christ, your Savior, the one who bled and died on that cross and was pierced through his side, the one who promised us so many things and the one who is the living word of God, he is coming back for you. He's the one coming. So 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. So the Lord himself, uh, John 14 He tells his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Aren't you glad that uh, we don't just have to spend eternity in some part of the universe that God has created? You know, I mean, it'd be one thing. It's amazing the, the grace that God has extended to us in salvation, that you and I get to be saved from hell. But you know, the, the blood of Christ that has covered and washed away our sin, it doesn't just give us a place to continue to live spiritually out somewhere in the universe. You know, uh, God's not going to come back and say, you know, you lived a pretty good life. Why don't you just kind of hang out here over in this nebula galaxy X1705 and uh, I'll come see you every once in a while. The Lord says to be ab- the scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I mean, you and I get to be in the presence of Jesus Christ for all of eternity. That's amazing. So he says, surely, this is a, a, a true promise. Surely, I come, and notice with me, quickly. He says quickly. Now, really, this is in two ways. The first, the first way in which he's coming quickly is the actual time between when this was written and when he actually comes, it's going to be quickly. Now, for you and I, you know, 2,000 years, it sounds like a long time. Um, You know, I'm going to be 30 this year, and I almost feel like I've been alive for a while. Some of you are chuckling. Others of you turned 40, (coughs) Debbie and Laura, this week, you know, this year. And uh, you feel like you've been around this this earth, you know, uh, for some time. And all the uh, senior saints are back there. Oh, Wade's going to be turning 30. <laughs> turning 40 this summer. Um, the, the actual time from when this was written and when he comes back, that time, it's quickly. And it's quickly in this sense. You know, the scripture in James says that what is our life? That it, it appeareth as a, it's a, as a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And in the Psalms, you know, the psalmist describes how we may get our um, three score in ten years. If, if you are able and, blessed, and you're blessed by God to live 70 years on this life, it, on this earth, that is just but a moment. Our life is a vapor. Uh, you go back into the Old Testament, you see some of these uh, guys in Genesis that were living hundreds and hundreds of years. And on the span of eternity, we know that that is so little 
It's, it's as a vapor that appears for a little time. So he says, behold, or surely I come quickly. So the time from which this was written, and he made that promise till the time that he returns, that will be quickly. But the actual, the, the, the action of him coming back will take place, place very quickly. Um, I've been amazed. How many of you are into football and the playoffs and everything that's going on right now? Um, the, I was looking at... Um, I love speed is such a huge part of sports, you know, but I was checking out the 40 yard dash and some of the players at the NFL combine, you know, is what they call it when they're coming, when these, when these players come out of college and right before they go into the NFL draft, they go to the NFL combine where they do a a bunch of drills that exhibit their individual speed and agility. And, um, it's amazing. I felt right at play, you know, right at home as I was watching these guys and, this last year, uh, to give you a couple of times, in the 40-yard dash, these guys are running, they call it a 4-4-40, where they're running in 4.4 seconds, they are able to run 40 yards. That is 120 feet in four seconds. Um, C.J. Spiller, he had a 4.37 in 2010. Uh, Javid Best had a 4.35 and Chris Johnson right now, he plays for the Tennessee uh, Titans. He had uh, the fastest recorded time in that 40-yard dash was 4.25. In 4.25 seconds, he ran 40 yards. That is booking it. And I, I didn't pull up, um, oh, what's the, the fastest man alive right now? He's like out of Zimbabwe or something. But he's got, he can run a 100-meter dash in like, nine seconds it's just insane the speed of these guys you know it's funny those guys are the running backs right they're supposed to be fast but what about i was just watching uh dexter davis he's a defensive lineman playing for the seattle seahawks a defensive lineman 40 yard dash 4.64 seconds i mean you should see the video of this guy he is a beast i cannot imagine getting hit by that guy Full speed, you know, 40-yard dash. It's just unbelievable. I mean, the running backs, they're supposed to be fast. But when you have offensive linemen, you know, the, the offensive linemen times were like five-point-something seconds. I mean, these guys are like 350 pounds, six-foot-five. They're just gigantor. And uh, it, it's just funny, you know, how much of speed uh, plays a part of sports. Um, when you think about speed... This is kind of a science thing, but light travels at a constant finite speed of 186,000 miles per second. So if you could travel the speed of light, you could circumnavigate the equator in approximately one second. You could do it 7.5 times. If you could travel the speed of light, you could fly around the globe seven and a half times in one second. So think about how many times you can do that a year, man. Your head would really be spinning. That'd be a lot of fun. (laughs) By comparison, a traveler in a jet aircraft moving at a ground speed of 500 miles an hour would cross the continental U.S. once in four hours. So it's amazing the speed. But what the scripture here says, Jesus says, Surely I come quickly. The time between when he said that and when he comes back, it's going to be short. But the actual action of him coming back the scripture says first corinthians 15 you're familiar with it behold i show you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye i'll talk to you a little bit more about that here
at the end of this. But we see, surely, Christ is coming back. Now, look with me back at our text here in Revelation. Revelation 22. Jesus has promised, surely, I come quickly. John says, Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I want to talk to you a minute about even so, come Lord Jesus. You know, there are those who mock His coming. The Scripture identifies in 2 Peter 3, 3, knowing this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since our fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So John says, even so, come Lord Jesus. But we know in the world in which we live, Peter, let us know there will be people that when it comes to the return of Christ, they will scoff and they will be mockers. There will also be those who try to predict his coming. And this has been an interesting one because um, how many of you guys have anybody heard about the movement we can know dot com? We can know dot com. Is there anybody that's heard of we can know dot com? No. OK, um, I was, Sean and I were in Columbus. Uh, we went to the, the hospital to see Noah. And when we were done, I had to make a trip to Vance's uh, tactical gun store. And on the way to Vance's, um, there was a billboard that said May, what is it? May 21st, 2011. We can know. We can know.com. And these guys are predicting Jesus to come back on May 21st, 2011. Now, this is funny. As I looked into it more, the guy's name, he's 88 years old. The guy that's led this movement. And uh, I know this will shock you, but this is not the first date that he has set that the Lord would actually come back. Um, but uh, I went on their website and he's got a, uh, let me give you this, because uh, you're thinking, okay, what do you, what's the little formula you use to figure out the day that the Lord's coming back, right? Because Pastor Jim, he's never taught me this one. So here you go. Um, what he says, man, this uh, what he says is that Daniel, remember, uh, God gave Daniel the, uh, the vision. And in the book of Daniel, there's a part of it where God tells Daniel something. And he says, hey, seal that up. That's going to be sealed. You're, they're not going to know what's going on there. All right. So he seals that, that book. Now, you know, in Revelation, there's a sealed book that's handed to Christ. And he's the only one worthy to open the book. Now, I'd have to read it more, but there's nothing in the scriptures that says that they're the same book. They could be, but I'd have to read it more. But even if it was, um, what he says about that book, this is great. Jesus opens the sealed book and he, he says, um, and the scripture does say this, Revelation 8.1. He says, and when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Right, that's what it says there in Revelation. And, uh, you know, I should have double-checked. I'm, I was almost positive that it says that. Um, yeah, and when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. So the scripture says that. Now, this guy, listen to what he says. Several years ago, he said, when was there silence in heaven? Several years ago, we had learned that the silence in heaven for about half an hour referred to the 2,300 days that were the first part of the 23-year Great tribulation period. Where he gets that, I have no idea. But he says, this period began on May 21st, 1988. It was during this 2300-day period that both in the churches and throughout the world, very few, if any, were saved. Revelation 8.1 reports that there was silence in heaven. 
This would have been the situation beginning on May 21st, 1988. Because joy in heaven occurs as sinners repent. In Luke 15, and the Bible reports this joy in heaven and joy was not in silence. We had learned that May 21st, 1988 was the last day of the church age and was also the first day of the 23-year period of the Great Tribulation during which Satan has been employed by God to officially rule all of the churches as well as the whole world. So he goes on there. So that that was interesting. Um, But this is from Sunday, March 12th, 1995. And this is the San Francisco Chronicle. And they did an article on him. Um, This was in March of 95. And what he said, what the, the, um, the, the man's name that's leading this movement is, uh, I believe it's Harold Camping. Let me make sure I've got the first name right. Yes, Harold Camping. Anybody ever heard of him? Okay, Patrick has. Um, but Harold Camping is kind of the guy leading this movement. Um, and what it says is Camping is a man who doesn't like to admit that he's wrong. So what he had done, what Camping had done, was he said that Christ was going to come back in September of 1994. So this... this um, person writing for the paper sat down with him and and camping gave him an interview and he says um camping isn't a man who is a man who doesn't like to admit that he's wrong and that creates quite a dilemma for someone who went on worldwide radio and said it was 99.9 percent certain that the world would end in last september so this is in 95 we are sitting in his office one morning in february of 95 and i assumed harold camping is about to eat crow not so instead he tells me we are still in 1994 Nothing has been negated at this point in time, Camping explains. The Bible is based on the biblical calendar we began in March, which began in March. So 1994 runs until March of 1995. And the guy asked, well, didn't you say something about September? Well, um, it seemed that Christ would return on the feast days of the seventh month of the biblical calendar. But in the book I wrote, I went with the Roman calendar. It didn't happen in September. So obviously I was wrong about September. But the evidence that that points to 1994 as the end of the world still stands. But didn't you say that no one could be saved after September 6th? Early on I did. Wonderfully I was wrong about that. But after September came and went, didn't you say something about a new deadline, December 31st of 1994? For a while, Christmas looked promising, he replied. You know, I'm like the boy who cried wolf again and again and the wolf didn't come. This doesn't bother me in the slightest. The interesting thing is that we tried to search the scriptures for more information. Another date came up. So there will be another date after March 31st? No. It, if it doesn't happen in 1994, that is by March 31st, 1995, then it means I missed something very, very important. <laughs> and the guy goes on to ask him, you know, aren't you trying to do this just to trick people and get converts? Well, here's the deal. That was in 94, the guy writing the article in 1995. So now what has just happened is um, this was from January 1st of 2010. The same San Francisco Chronicle did an article, uh, um, in, an interview with this Harold uh, Camping. So it says, uh, this is from Friday, January 1st, 2010. And what, you know, you got to love the titles. Um, the title of this one was The Man Who Prophesied the End of the World. The title of this one is Biblical Scholar's Date for Rapture, May 21st, 2011. You know, and just the idea of a biblical scholar just is laughable. Um, you know, a scholar is one who's mastered their subject, right? You can't master them. There are no Bible scholars. And obviously this man's not, but uh, anyway. Harold Camping lets out a hearty chuckle when he considers that the people who believe the world will end in 2012. You know, you got the 2012 movie, the Mayan calendar deal, we're all going to die. Um, 
But he says camping now 88 years old was scrutinized, has scrutinized the Bible for almost 70 years. And he says he developed a mathematical system to interpret prophecies hidden within the good book. And he's got May 21st, 2011 as the end date. Um, so check out, here's his mathematical formula. You might want to write this in the front of your Bible. All right. So according to camping, the number five equals atonement. 10 is completeness and 17 means heaven. So he's using this numerology deal. And he says, Christ hung on the cross April 1st, 33 AD. Now go to April 1st of 2011, and that's 1,978 years. Camping then multiplied 1,978 by 365.2422 days, the number of days in each solar year, not to be confused with the calendar year. Next, camping noted that April 1st to May 21st encompasses 51 days. Add 51 to the sum of the previous multiplication total, and E equals 700 of 722,500. Camping realized that five, this is great, I'm trying to think mathematically how to say this. Camping realized that the sum, that the sum of five times 10 times 17 multiplied by itself, five times 10 times 17 equals 722,500, or put into a words, atonement times completeness times heaven squared. It sounds like something Ty would teach in Sunday school, you know. <laughs> he says, uh, 5 times 10 times 17 is telling you a story. It's the story from the time Christ made payment for your sins until you're completely saved. I tell you, I just about fell off my chair when I realized that. So James Kruger, author of Secrets of the Apocalypse Revealed, has been studying the end times for 40 years and is familiar with Camping's work. While Kruger agrees that the rapture is indeed coming, he disputes Camping's method. So Kruger identifies the scripture, Matthew 24, of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels in heaven, but my father only. And, you know, it's silly, you know, when you think about, um, even so, come Lord Jesus, there are those who mock his coming lately. You know, there are those who try to predict his coming. I mean, I, I've seen a photo of a girl that's got, it's like, must be like a Ford Focus or something. It's totally, the to- whole paint job is, um, uh, and God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world and she should have put on the other side, no man knoweth the day or the hour, but she didn't do that. And, you know, as May 21st, 2011, painted all over this car. So, uh, you know, I don't know how big of a following this is, but, you know, throughout history, people have tried to predict the day when Christ is coming back. Haldeman said this, It's not for you to know the times of the seasons, which the Father had put in his own power, that this restriction was for the church as the declaration of the apostle. This is what he said to the church at Thessalonica, of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. Why had he no need to write it to them? Because the day of the Lord, he said, should um, come as a thief. And as that day is introduced by the coming of the Lord for his church, then his coming for the church was, as he himself afterwards declared in his letter to Sardis, like the coming of a thief. He affirms we don't know the hour. But he exhorts us to watch. And so there are those that mock his coming. There are those that try and find out, you know, by punching numbers, when is he going to come back? And then there are those who are going to try and stop his coming. Um, look with me at Revelation, 20, or Revelation 19 and verse 19. Revelation 19. Actually, look in, uh, we'll start in verse 11. 
The scripture says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True and in Righteousness. He doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that had worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. You see, when Christ comes back, not at the rapture, but at the end of that tribulation, the armies of the nations of the world will be gathered together against Christ to defy the king of kings. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. And it does not matter what these rulers think that they can do. And, you know, maybe somebody will nuke a continent or something like that. But Jesus Christ, there's going to be a planet for him to come back to. And when he comes back, he will sit as king of kings and lord of lords. And he will reign and rule with a rod of iron. He will see to it that that happens. Look also at the end of the millennium here in Revelation chapter 20 in verse 7. He has just taken, in verse 20 we read, where he took the beast and the false prophet and threw them into the lake of fire. But notice who's still lurking around. Revelation chapter 20, and actually we'll start in verse 1. He says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he said, Oh, you know what? I don't know I've ever seen this in connection before. Who does he send to go get Satan? An angel. We know the name of the angel. Might be a little buck private angel, maybe a sergeant or a lieutenant. Say, hey, you know what, Satan, go go grab him real quick. But who did he send for you and me? Himself. Oh man, that's cool. So Jesus Himself is coming back to get you and I. But when it comes to Lucifer, ah, well, I just send a little angel to go get him. But isn't Satan the most created being? Isn't he the most powerful being? Yeah, but God's still in control. And so I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And we don't know, you know, how, how long of a time that little season would be. It could be years, it could be days, it could be just moments. But on this grand scale of eternity, God says it's, it's just a little season. And there's some things that need to happen there at the end of the millennium. In verse 4, he says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. Now go down to verse number 10. Verse number, uh, I'm sorry, verse number... Uh, Seven. 
And when the thousand years are expired, all right, so the millennium has happened, the end of the millennium has come, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. How long have the beast and the false prophet been there at this time? A thousand years. And they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. You know, it's real interesting. These guys that don't think that, uh, that there's a real literal hell. There absolutely is. Now, what's interesting, you know, it, we say people will spend eternity in hell. I, I guess biblically it would be the lake of fire because God takes death and hell and casts them into the lake of fire. Either way, it's bad. It's real bad. And the nations, uh, the nations gather together against Christ at the end of the tribulation. Again, Satan goes out and he tries to get these armies gathered together against the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And God just rains down fire from heaven on them. You know, we have an amazing God. There are some who scoff at the coming of Christ. Some try and predict exactly what day just because they want to be smarter than everybody else. They want a following. There are those who would do everything they could, humanly possible, to stop His coming. But you know what you and I say? Even so, come Lord Jesus. It is on the threshold of unfolding history in the gates of heaven that the gates of heaven are ajar, ready for His coming. So imminent is it that there is nothing between us and that event of events but the shout of a command, the voice of the archangel, and the shattering sound of the trump. So imminent that there is not the thickness of an eyelash between us and that moment when the door in heaven shall open wide and his voice with all compelling power shall say, come up hither. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. And Lord, we look forward to the day when you return.